Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, and you're my mother, please turn it off now. Hello! Welcome to episode 26 of Slaughter. We're still impressed that we're here. Emma organised me a handy and it was fantastic. It was a murder mystery. And it really threw me off because when I got in the car and my mother got in the car and she said, did you hear about that murder that's happened on the road? And I totally thought that was part of the hen But it turns out there was actually a murder down the road for me. <laughs> I was like, ooh, this is the start. She's like, no, a child was killed. I was like, oh shit. Not everything's about you. So I'm going to start us off with Mary Blandy. I bet you haven't heard of her. I haven't, but how rude of you to assume. Well, if you've heard of her, good. Well, you're probably a scholar of some sorts because it's you'd have to seek this one out. So Mary was born in the 1700s in the riverside town of Henley in the south of England, or Henley on Thames. She was part of a very rich family, so she was born into quite a lot of wealth, and that's kind of why this is such a famous one, to be honest, because it involves someone from a nice family and she was a bit of an aristocrat. Uh, her father was a lawyer and he was doing pretty well for himself, as many lawyers do. So she was raised to be intelligent, articulate, she had a very good memory. Remember, this is the 1700s. And she oh, was... right, yeah. So we're like, okay, let me just... Bonnet, pattern shoes. Yeah. Women, we're inferior. We pee where we sit. Done. Yeah, she was well respected in the area and lots of people knew of her and she was quite a nice family. She was the only child and she was reportedly going to inherit £10,000 when her father died. So that was a, a lot of money. She was quite a catch. Well, she got to the age of 26, unmarried. In the 1700s, she might as well have killed herself. Basically, her parents were freaking the fuck out. I remember doing persuasion at A level and the Jane Austen novel and they'd be like, Yes, and now she's twenty seven and her bloom is completely gone. I was like, Oh dear God. Like, You've got ten years left to sort your life out. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, they, I mean they were freaking out. They were like, She's gonna die alone. Twenty six, how dare she? So She should have dialed in childbirth like three times over <laughs> yeah. by now. Past her prime. So they began to spread the word. Basically, they thought, well, if we start mentioning this money, maybe there'll be a few more bites. So they started doing that thing that parents do when you get a bit older. They start advertising you to everyone. They they say, well, I've got a daughter. It's never a catch, though. It's always a man in a jumper. So a lot of army gentlemen started coming a-courting 
when they heard about the money, tried to visit Mary, but her father wasn't impressed by them. He was just like, no. One man he did like was Captain William Henry Cranston, son of Lord Cranston, mm-hmm. who is Scottish heritage, linked to the nobility, I'll have you know. So obviously they were like, ding, 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 we've got a winner. He was 46 though. Quite an age gap. But then she could Take be... what you can get. She could be a widow. Life leisure. So, I love how low our standards have got now. <laughs> we're like, 27, die. 46, die. <laughs> He's got to be on his way out. 46. 46. <laughs> How do they live to like 35 then? That's He's true. like practically one foot in the grave. So, Cranston had previously married a Miss Murray from Scotland in 1745 and he had got quite a lot of money from that now he didn't tell the family that obviously oh so he had hidden money a title and hidden dollars well a hidden wife and child oh shit she's still alive yeah <gasps> in the attic she's in Scotland same thing that's the, the attic, attic of, of England the attic of the UK she'd given birth to a son and he'd basically gone off to because he'd heard about this woman with lots of money so Mary's father discovered that he had a wife because word gets around you know that is some really good 1700 detective skills because there's no way he could google them he literally would have had to ask people i think some a medal a busybody got in touch with him someone who'd heard the name and was like oh i was at his wedding and also cranston was short fat repulsively ugly um, he had smallpox scars all over his face. He squinted quite a lot. But Mary did like him. Oh. He, the dad found out that he was already married with a child. So Cranston told him that he was not married and the woman was only a mistress. No, like, don't <laughs> so worry like, about it. I've just been shagging around on the side. Like, nothing for you to worry about. It's not legal. It's fine. So that wasn't true. Mary believed him. And she told him that if her father approved, then it wasn't it didn't bother her. She's alright with it. Because that's what men do, isn't it? Go and get servants up the duff and then if it's not legit, it doesn't count. Stick it in the attic. Yeah. Her mother um, was also fine with it. Lock it in the airing cupboard. She was like, meh. So, basically, no one gives a shit about them. They're like, if you two uggos want to get together, she's 26. just do it away from us. Just out of sight, out of mind is what this story is saying. Well, her father wasn't quite so cool about it. He kicked out Cranston and he and they continued to write to each other in secret, Cranston and Mary. Oh, so they did like each other, do you think? Yeah, she was. Do you think Cranston liked her? her? No. I think he wanted to. I'll start with you for it then. So, Cranston came up with a plan. He thought. I can probably convince the dad if I get something in writing. So he wrote to his wife and he basically said to her... Why even write to your wife? Like, what kind of authenticity are they asking for? Like, handwrite it yourself. How's he going to (laughs) know? The signature is basically a cross on the bottom of the page. True. So he basically, he wrote to her... That's her her cross. This (laughs) must be real. So he basically wrote to her and he said, "Um, please, can you disown me as a husband because... Unless you do, they're not going to promote me in the army. They only want single men, clearly. You have to say, you're not my wife. Then I can get a promotion and I can give you some more money. This was his reasoning. Okay. I mean, she win, won, win. She didn't fall for it straight away, but after a little convincing, she did. He wrote a letter out 
saying what she needed to write, sent it to oh, her. Oh, so we did, yeah. Put and your ex on the line. Right, said, can you copy it out? Can you draw a little picture of your face <laughs> as photo identification? <laughs> can you thumbprint it? Get a caricature. This is me. In a June buggy. <laughs> so, uh, so she wrote out the letter and then signed it and sent it back. Basically saying, dear whoever, William Henry, Henry Cranston isn't my husband. He's never been my husband. He took loads of copies of the letter and sent it to her relations and his relations. Basically banded it around going, look, we were never married. Look, everyone. So he made her write it out like 50 times. <laughs> so I think he photocopied it in ye old printing press. So he copied the letter and he sent it to all her relations and his relations. And they stopped giving her money. I mean, I don't know why they were giving her money anyway. Why do we hate single women so much that we want them to starve to death? Yeah, it's like, like oh, I will you're give- not married? <laughs> no money for you then. Sorry. Thank Make you your money much. spinning, spinster. That lucrative career you've now got. They were like, fuck you very much. I'm not paying for no single bitch around here. Yeah, um, right. Despite the fact she's got a son. So, I mean, I don't know what money they were giving her. I thought maybe they were like talking her up to others and then getting like, getting her staff and getting her dinner invites and networking and stuff. And they were like, no more for you. You're not in the family. It's like before Luke and I got engaged, mum was like, hey, he's not getting as much Christmas money as you. And as soon as we got engaged, she was like, he's one of the family. He can have the same... So then he tried to go to court and basically get the marriage annulled. Mm-hmm. And they said, no. You've got a fucking kid. You got married and had a child. You've got to give us some money. So then he had to pay money to her again. Because they were like, it's not how it works. You don't get her to say we're not married. And then we just say, yes, you're not married. <laughs> like you actually have to just stand by the fact that you are married. So Mary also, I mean, she is a little bit, she's got a bit going up there. She wrote to the court and she asked if he was married. She was like, I'm fine enough myself. Mm. They said, yes, he's married. He said, yeah, but it takes a little bit of time to go through. Yeah, what you don't understand is that I'm so not married, but I'm kind of married, but I'm in the process of not being married. And you just need to wait because everything will be fine. Yeah, basically. And she was like, okay. So she was down for that. So he was her type. (laughs) Clearly. She was invested in this. So, Mary and her mother also um, had a friend that they used to visit called Mrs. Pocock. I want to see your Pocock. Pocock. Your Pocock. (laughs) So, she became very ill. Just as people do. She was lying in her bed when they went to see her. And she started saying, I really want to see Cranston. Um, Can you get Cranston for me? So, he came to visit her. And he gave her some medicine and she suddenly started getting well again. So he basically cured her and she kept saying... He's an officer in the army. What medicine is he giving her? I shot her in the face and her headache's gone. (laughs) She's definitely not complaining anymore. A saber to the gut. Everything seems to be working out fine. She started saying, I owe you my health. You're amazing. You're a hero. Blah, 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 blah. What is the what is the explanation for this, Emma? What could have happened here? So an old woman's he ill. He was drugging her originally, and then she was withdrawing. Is what was making her ill? Maybe. Uh, antimony. No. Typhus. <laughs> no. I don't know. He he paid her. Oh. 
Oh, so he paid up to pretend to be ill yeah. and then ask for him and then he could be the hero and yeah. her family would be like, you're amazing. You're the best captain doctor we've ever had. Yeah. And they never once thought, why are you a doctor now? Well, that's not... I have no proof of this, but this is what I'm thinking. I mean, it's the only explanation. Oh, so you're just... We're speculating now. I'm speculating. Yeah, because why else would he be suddenly... She'd ask for him as the doctor. Oh, like, can you get that guy that I've never met? I've heard he's amazing. I think he maybe he went with them to visit her one time and he'd like heard of her and then he like went round and was like oh, I'll give you 50 quid it's one of those old wives tales like if you're suffering from measles what you need is to rub the sweat of a short round man <laughs> on your with face with small pox scars yeah take the sweat from a small pox scar and rub it on yourself <laughs> thrice daily and you and all will be well <laughs> so Mrs Blandy also while she was away gallivanting around town this is the mother she spent 40 quid and didn't tell her husband and she was my mum does that all the time it's a bloody good job he doesn't recognise when it's a new coat (laughs) I've had this for years yeah that's literally all you have to say he's like okay I remember my mum like when I was little she went to town and she spent over £100 on clothes and I was like she's gonna bankrupt us all I freaked out I was really upset about it because to me like all my clothes were like £12. I was like, this is all of the money that we have. <laughs> and now my mother spent it. So, she was knew that her husband was going to find out and was going to be upset. Because £40 isn't a sm- £40 isn't £40. No. Like, £40 is like a yearly allowance. Like, again, harking back to Jane Austen, those Bennets had £50 a year. Yeah. That was their annual income. £40 spending just randomly. That's a lot. She hasn't done that in one sitting. No. She'd been blowing that cash. So, Cranston found out, um, basically he came round and mother and daughter were like crying over it, saying, oh my God, he's going to kill us. He said, what's wrong? What's going on? And they said, and they told him, and then he sort of walked out, came back with the money and was like, there you go, save the day. So he gave them 40 quid. So, mother-in-law, happy. Mother-in-law liked him anyway, this could also be a scheme. Well, she liked him even more then. Mrs. Blundy soon after died... Which I don't think is anything to do with him because she was championing him. Yeah, it would be in his best interest for her to be alive. Yeah. So Cranston now made a big fuss of being potentially arrested for the 40 quid that he'd borrowed to pay the mother. Uh, You owe me. You owe me big time. Mary got the money from someone else, gave it back to him. So now she owed 40 quid to someone else. So he wasn't really being that nice in the end. So, Cranston now thought, Mum's gone. Mary digs me. Dad's in the way. Yeah. What could be the answer to this conundrum? Antimony! Typhus! So, Cranston started sending Mary letters with little powders in. And he said... Stop melting antimony at me. Antimony! Don't tell the listeners that I've got a suggestion. And he, said, he told her it was a love potion. I literally looked at my own brain then. <laughs> like, the eye roll was so hard. <laughs> Fucking hell. 27 years on this earth and she's believing in a love potion. She's not got book smarts. We, that was the only thing she had going for her, was book smarts a minute ago. Now she doesn't even have that. So he, well, I mean, he wasn't wrong. He said, if you put this in your father's food and drink, he will no longer oppose the relationship. And he was right. He won't be saying a fucking thing. Because it worked. Because he died. I never lied to you. <laughs> so, 
Rule number one for slaughter life skills. If people send you mysterious powder, don't put it in people's food or drink. No, test it yourself first. And if you die, then you know it's bad. Yeah, especially if you are, they are, or either of you will be rich. So Mary, realising at the end that the death was her fault... Not when he was progressively getting iller and iller every time she put powder in his food. She begged her father on his deathbed for forgiveness and proclaimed that she would never see Cranston again, that she was so wrong. She was like, what? I can't believe I did this. He basically said, I forgive you. He He did? Yeah, he blamed... I would hold that grudge. I'd be like, you've killed me. I'm going to literally ruin your life. (laughs) Well, he blamed Cranston for everything and he basically said, go stay with your uncle and try and get help from him because, like, you're left unprotected now he's gone this far you kind of feel like you might as well just say fine marry him like if it means that much to you (laughs) so soon after her father's death murray was arrested and taken to the jail at oxford you can read the whole court statement i tried to read the whole court statement it's not double s's that's f's it's all s's are f's f for s and it's unbearable the the google book um that i looked at for this the court statement is called the trial of mary blandy spinster oh brilliant don't get excited she's nothing like if you were gonna listen to this trial and think it was worth your time think again because no man wanted her just throw that in there spinster okay so in the report it talks about the crime that she's done it says you the said mary then and there well knowing that the said tea with which you did so mix and mingle the said deadly potion as aforesaid was then and there prepared for the use of the said francis blandy with intent to be then and there administered to him for his drinking the same and the said tea with which the said poison was so mixed it's like this guy literally was like I've read a dictionary I've learnt the word said now my challenge for the day is to say it ten times in conversation <laughs> just all in the same this speech is still the same sentence it was so oh. mixed as aforesaid afterwards to wit on the said tenth day of November and on the divers days and times aforesaid at Hemley upon Thames aforesaid was delivered to the said Francis to be then and there drank by him and the said Francis Blandy, not knowing the said potion on that day being mixed the said tea did afterwards to wit on the said 10th day of November and, and it carries on like that. I mean... My God, no wonder you didn't get through it. So I kind of gave up about the spot where I just gave up. Either he's only just learnt the word said or he's literally hypnotising the jury. Like that's some Darren Brown type of t- double talk there. Imagine being on that jury... Snooze first. Yeah, four said. S-E-D-T on the said day. Like he's the said he's using determiners already. It's not like said is his replacement for the. He's saying the said day. Come on. Objection. <laughs> so the defendants at this time weren't allowed lawyers. So she had no representation. The trial lasted 11 hours. She pled not guilty. It was on the 29th of February, 1752. And it was the first time that detailed medical evidence had been presented in court for poisoning. So, an important... Did they poison a dog to prove it? (laughs) They did not. I'm not convinced. So, she basically admitted to putting powder in the food, but she didn't admit to intending to poison her father. The servants... I intended to poison him in a good way. (laughs) I wanted him to love us. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think she said it was a love potion, but, I mean, she probably looked like an idiot. So the servants gave evidence against her. They said, 
We've seen her putting powders in the food. One of them said, I ate a bit of food and it seemed poisoned. She was found guilty and received the death penalty. I love when servants turn on their, on people. Because yeah. they think, oh, they're so loyal, they'd never do it. No, you're paying them to be loyal. As soon as you become a murderer, they're going to turn on you. And the servants knew all the gossip as well. Yeah. This is exciting. So, she was imprisoned at Oxford Castle. She was fed mutton chops and apple pie. Mm. And she got on pretty well with the jailers. Like, they thought she was cool. She only just missed out, and it kind of links back to what we've looked at before, a new law was brought in that in the 1752 that all prisoners were to be dissected. So mm. they were all to go into medical trials. She literally just missed that by a couple of days. So she had a proper burial. She was one of the last people oh, before wow. that law came in. She was heavily featured in the news of the time. Uh, she wrote about her innocence when she was in prison. She was in prison for six weeks before she was hanged. She made friends with Elizabeth Jeffries, who we may think about doing on the podcast, who was awaiting the hanging for the murder of her uncle. But a lot of her posh friends were a bit... She got visited by a lot of posh people in prison. Yeah. They are like, why are you hanging around with her? She's riffraff. So she was seen as a posh criminal, which is why it was so much in the media. People were really like, oh my goodness, she's actually rich and quite clever. So like, what is she doing there? So 6th of April 1752 uh, was the day of her hanging. She asked not to be hanged too high so the crowd couldn't see up her skirt. Fair play. Like, why have more people not thought of that? Uh, I mean, would you really give a shit? You're about to die. Yes! I would Dignity be... and death is a thing. <laughs> well, clearly. So she carried her prayer book um, and she reportedly died quite quickly without a struggle. Cranston ran away to Scotland and then he went to France to live with some distant family who he told everything they were like we're gonna support you it's gonna be fine this story sounds like you're the good guy (laughs) some soldiers who were related to his wife so not Mary but his wife they found out that he was staying there and they said if they saw him they were gonna beat the shit out of him basically possibly even kill him so he fled again and he went to a village called Furness in France he became very sick quickly converted to Romish faith which is basically Catholic-ish it's like eh, it's a bit like Catholic and he died six months after Mary so he didn't get along his remaining money was then sent to his wife about 1500 pounds good she yeah. earned it it also transpired that Mr Blandy had been talking himself up a lot, probably to get rid of his daughter. He didn't have £10,000, and he'd vastly overestimated it. Now, Mary's... So he'd got his daughter killed, really. Yeah. He'd got himself killed, he'd got his daughter killed. That's what greed does. Well, actually, the motto that they printed in the press after her death was, this is what happens when you disobey your parents. This is what happens when your parents value you being married over your life. So Mary's ghost has been reported as haunting the lanes in Turville. Others say she roams a hotel in Henley. And in 2011, her former home, which was where she lived most of her life, became the most expensive house in the UK um, to have ever been sold. That was 2011, so I think there's more expensive ones. But it was 140 million, like to a Russian billionaire. I had to look at it. It's gorgeous. I think it's Henley House. Henley House. It's lovely. So if you want to invite us to stay... We do. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So the tale I'll be telling is of two people called Christopher Craig and Derek Bentley. So in 1952, they were accused with the murder of a police constable, Sidney Miles, but their trial and their sentencing would be controversial for years afterwards. So Christopher Craig was born in 1936... I like that he's got alliteration in his name. Yeah, but it's also really confusing when I keep calling him Craig because even when I was writing the notes, I was like, who's this third person, Craig? Ah, Craig did it! Where did that come from? I think it was the facial expression that made it brilliant. I know you missed that, but it was like she was really biting (laughs) off those words there. When I think of Craig, I think of Ah, Craig. I don't know where from. Who's Ah, Craig? So he was born in 1936 and he was three years younger than Derek Bentley. But they were both from the same area of Norbury in South London and they both had been to Norbury Secondary Modern School and they had both left pretty much as soon as they could at the age of 15. Now Craig at the time was described as having word blindness. So he was illiterate. Well, he was dyslexic. At the time, they called it word blindness. It's like, you can't even see the words. Like, word blind? I've heard of mind blindness. That's related to autism. Oh. So that's like being able to not understand the views of others. But word blindness. There is a phobia that's a fear of words, logophobia. Imagine that. Fact. Factoid. <laughs> From slaughter. But yeah, but so now they recognise it as being dyslexia. But at the time it wasn't really um, recognised as much. And they just basically thought it was stupid. 
like oh he'll never learn he's an imbecile and when he left school he could barely read or write so he was pretty much illiterate but the others went, he went to school with, they told stories that he compensated by being really athletic, but also a bit of a pain in the arse, like he was a bit of the class clown, he would take the mick out of everyone. And he would also carry guns and knives. Oh, I was thinking, it's a bit like some of my kids that I teach. Well, they're like football boys, they're not really like into academia. They don't carry guns and knives. Yeah, he stepped it up a level. Um, so he would take guns into school and he'd show them to other boys and they'd swap guns with each other. What?! What was this, like, black market rig in, like, secondary school? The school, secondary modern? I mean, it's the, ni- it's the 1940s, and as we know from the Dunblay Massacre, the gun laws weren't always as strict in England, in the UK. Why are you an 11-year-old trading them at school? This is one step further to my understanding. They still weren't, obviously, allowed to do it, but... They, <laughs> they weren't allowed to, but... <laughs> his dad had lived through a world war. They were now in the Second World War, and people had guns <laughs> his dad guns. was an army captain and he would often take him and his brother shooting and he actually wanted to be a gunsmith when he got older so i don't think it was he was threatening people as such but he was really he just fucking loved guns <laughs> bloody love guns mate but apparently he wasn't actually a very good shot but his older brother who was 10 years older called niven which I thought, oh, that's a really lovely name, until I found out what he did. Niven was more proficient, and he used his skills for evil. So he was convicted of shop-breaking at 14, and then he sent him to an approved school. He then joined the army and was convicted of 12 different offences before being sentenced to five years for armed robbery. But the same year that his younger brother, Christopher Craig, and his friend Derek Bentley would commit their major offence... Niven was sentenced at the Old Bailey for 12 years for armed robbery and for possession of a pistol when they came to arrest him later on. So they're both Romans? Yes. It's like, ah, Craig did it, so, well, maybe I've got to do it. So Christopher was there when he was getting sentenced and he heard the judge say to his brother that he's a cold-blooded person and that he believed... The judge said, I believe you would shoot down if you had the opportunity to do so, any police officer who was attempting to arrest you. So there was very much this us and them attitude. I think they were seen as, like, the problem kids around there. They had a bit of a reputation. I mean, it's more than a problem kid saying, I think you're going to shoot a police officer. Yeah, but it was very (laughs) them against the police. So it was only three days after this that Christopher would go on to be involved in the fatal shooting of a police officer. God... So this guy's predicted it. Mm -hmm. He's seen into the future. Should have arrested him there and then. Pretty much. But it really affected him. Hearing that, seeing that, was definitely a catalyst for what was to happen later. He was like, you're probably going to shoot a policeman. And he was like, yeah, I might just shoot a policeman then. So at the time of the major crime, Bentley was 19. He was born in 1933. And at the age of five, apparently he fell off a lorry and landed on his head. Head injury. I mean, I like to think of him as like a little stolen good. Like, oh, where does this one come from? You know, fell off the back of a lorry. Film it, put it on, you've been framed. But apparently this was the cause for him suffering from epilepsy for the rest of his life. To just compound that further, during the Blitz, he had been bombed out twice and had been caught with falling bricks and rubble, which injured his head further, and that's believed to be what caused his extreme low intelligence. He was also almost completely illiterate and he was later described by one of the prison doctors as being feeble-minded and even of a a member of parliament when 
um, discussing this crime afterwards in Bentley's defence said that he was three quarters witted. Who needs brain smarts when you've got gun smarts? That's all I'm saying. A lot of people, that's exactly what you need. If you're going to have a gun, you need to be (laughs) smart. (laughs) We don't want stupid people with guns. One or the other. (laughs) So he also had been convicted of shot breaking and was sent to an approved school in 1948. And to compensate, he took up bodybuilding. So he was pretty hench. short as well? I have no idea. No, he was. I do know, actually. He was the taller of the two. Oh. He was the taller of the two, and he was into bodybuilding. He's described as being quite good-looking. He was just a bit dumb. So about the time of Niven's arrest, he'd started hanging out with Christopher Craig. But his parents really disapproved of this, as a, assuming they knew about the family and they didn't want Derek getting involved I mean, they them. sound as bad as each other, to be honest, though. <laughs> exactly. But you don't want them going further, do you? That's true. Um, I mean, Bentley had also once refused to go on a raid with Craig when he found that he carried a loaded gun. So Bentley was like, if that's the kind of shit you're into, I'm not down. It reminded me of Save the Last Dance, when Derek, also Derek, was like, I'm not going with you, Kai. I can't do this shit. So 2nd of November, 1952, so three days after Christopher Craig's brother was sentenced, Craig and Bentley met in the morning where... Christopher Craig dared Bentley to come with him to break into a butcher shop. And then... (laughs) Gotta get our hands on that meat. Yeah, like, if we're going to break into somewhere... I need some sausages. So later that night, Craig had been to the cinema with his girlfriend to see a film called My Death is a Mockery. It's only got 2.5 stars on IMDb. Uh, And not really much of a plot summary. I'm probably not going to watch it then. But it did have some eerie foreshadowing. The hero of the film is hanged following a gunfight in which a policeman was shot, which would be very similar to what would happen after. I blame the movies. So afterwards, he called at the home of Derek Bentley after the film, and his mum said that he wasn't in, even though he was in watching TV. Like, she knew something was going down and didn't want Bentley involved. But after some other friends came to call for him, Derek Bentley went out anyway, and there he met up with Craig, and they got on the number 109 bus into Croydon. So Christopher Craig later said that on this bus ride, he gave Bentley a knuckle duster to use. Is that a thing? What's an... Oh, is it like when you have rings that go over Yeah, your... the big metal thing. Which I think, if you're going to break into somewhere, they're going to do a robbery. That's not really the kind of weapon you want. You only really use that if you're Smash... punching someone in the face. Smash through the glass. Possibly. Bentley also had a small knife on him, whereas Christopher Craig had a revolver which was sawn off, the barrel was sawn off, and a knife. Now, I was thinking about this for ages. I've heard of a sawn-off shotgun, because they're huge. They're super long, saw it off. But a revolver, a handgun, I wasn't quite sure why you had saw it off. Maybe he had just heard of sawn-off shotguns, and he was like, well... This will help. I mean, it was a... Uh, it was a World War One um, gun. It was from the war. And there were long, thin barrels at the time so it would would have been quite cumbersome to carry it's easier to hide it if it's shorter that's all i could think of his pocket was just a little bit too small and it's like oh it's my best coat digging in my hip like it's a good coat the the remedy to this is i just saw it off a little bit yeah still works so they got off the bus at west croydon station and they headed over to a confectioner's like a warehouse for sweet shops and started to look in the window it's like they are just little boys they're not 16 and 19 they're out on their own they're gonna break in somewhere they go to the sweet shop 
Yeah, I want the humbugs. They're not, you know, packing a full deck. So there was a woman in an apartment across the road who was putting her child to bed, and she saw out of the window the two boys stood outside the confectioners, and she noticed that they were pulling their hats down over their faces. She then watched the shorter of the two jump over the set fence at the side of the building, and then after checking that no one was around, the taller one also jumped over and went round. So she told her husband, who then went and called the police. Good call. No bystander effect here. Nope. So Craig and Bentley climbed up the drainpipe and onto a flat roof of the building. And then they were, after only a couple of minutes, alerted by some lights being shone around the garden and the side of the building. So they hid behind a lift shaft and waited. At 9.25, a police van arrived, followed by a police car. I mean, to say it's what could have been petty burglary, they really sent out everyone to go and sort this. What is that? You saw two boys near a sweet shop. Send all the all the cars. Yeah. So in and the everyone. van were four officers, Fairfax, Harrison, Budgeon and Payne. And in the car were Sidney Miles and James MacDonald. And the story what happens varies between the police and the two boys with the exception of one officer um, PC Payne who corroborated the boy's story a little more so Fairfax was the main witness and the others sort of fell in line with his story and he said that he went there first and he saw a footprint on the windowsill and he decided to then climb the drain pipe onto the roof so he became aware of some burglars behind the lift shaft and shouted, Oh, police officer, come out! And then he heard Craig's voice saying, If you want us, fucking well come and get us. Oh, language. So Fairfax, being like, these little shits, rushed forward and grabbed at a boy and he'd actually grabbed Bentley. That Bentley started to shake him off and eventually, allegedly broke free and supposedly shouted, Let him have it, Chris. To Christopher Craig, at which point Craig then fired and a bullet grazed Fairfax's shoulder. So then it said in the book Murders of the Black Museum that Fairfax knocked Bentley to the ground with his fist. So he just smacked him in the face. Is that a knocked him? That's his what child. you mean, isn't it? <laughs> like, I don't want to look so bad. I'll say knocked him to with his fist. Like, you, why not just say he punched him in the mush? <laughs> yeah. That must be what happened. So he punched him in the mush, at which point Craig fired again and missed. Fairfax then was able to hold on to Derek Bentley and drag him behind to shelter behind the staircase head. I mean, this is a busy rooftop. It's a flat rooftop. There's a lift shaft, a staircase sort of like doorway thing that comes out as well. There's also some chimneys, which we'll feature later. (laughs) Two children and a gun. I mean, they might as well just play Laser Quest up there. Like, there's enough to hide behind. So, Craig then went back behind the lift house, so they're sort of hiding away from each other. Then, PC McDonald climbed onto the roof. It's said that he took a little bit longer to arrive because he was struggling to climb it. And um, Bentley apparently said to him, I told him not to use the gun. I said, don't bring it. PC Harrison then climbed onto a separate flat rooftop and was fired at twice by Craig, but he hid behind a chimney stack, so he's safe now. PC Miles had then gone to find the manager of the confectioners and got the keys to the warehouse. He's the brains of this operation. So he was able to go in the building and enter 
to the roof from the internal staircase. So he kicked down the door to make his entrance. But <laughs> to was... be as dramatic as possible. But he was shot immediately. Oh, shit. And fell down dead with a bullet entering above his left eyebrow. So Fairfax and MacDonald reacted and dragged the body back behind the staircase head with them. And then the other police officers joined them on the roof. It was an absolute melee. I mean, it was an attempted burglary by two teenagers that ended up with all of these police officers in a gunfight. Yeah, God. So Christopher Craig continued to shoot and shout at the officers, like, oh, I'm a Craig, you've just sent my brother down, I'm only 16, you can't get me, come on, you coppers, really just going for it. But that's the problem, isn't it? Because, like, having a gun trumps anyone else with anything. It's like, I've got a gun. Like, even a child could have a gun and be the scariest person in the room. I mean, it was, a, it was that terrible combination. He had access to guns and wasn't very smart. He was only 16 and knew that meant that he couldn't face the death penalty. And he had a vengeance because of his older brother. And it all just culminated at this point where yeah. he didn't give a shit anymore. So, the well, Maybe he thought, like, if I go to prison, I'll be with my brother. Well, he did at one point, apparently. I mean, it changes from some stories. Craig says that he put the gun to his head and was going to shoot himself before it ran out of bullets like he didn't he was just lost it at this point he didn't care the officers on the roof they pulled bentley into the entrance of the staircase and took him down into the building to sort of remove him and then fairfax returned this time with an automatic gun and craig's own gun began to start to misfire and they could hear the clicks so realising it was over and not being able to shoot himself as he said he wanted to do he jumped from the roof down below and he fractured his spine his breastbone and his forearm an officer who first went to him when he was down there heard craig say i hope i've killed the fucking lot of them (gasps) so he would also say later in court that he had jumped head first because he wanted to kill himself like he wanted to kill the officers and he wanted to just kill himself that's a hard thing to do jump head first because naturally you're you're gonna put your arms out yeah So then the police told that once in hospital, Christopher Craig continued to make threats and talk about how he wanted to kill the officers. He hoped they were all dead, like he wanted to murder them. Craig, on the other hand, said that he was drugged up. He was barely conscious in hospital, didn't know what was happening. And the only thing that he could remember was things, little bits, like the hospital staff apparently were pushing him along in a trolley and were bashing him into walls and bashing him into doors on purpose. Maybe, but, like, my mum was in hospital for an extended period of time and she was convinced that all the nurses were coming back from that lunch break drunk and just talking about it in front of her. And that clearly didn't happen. So... I imagine it's a bit of both. If when, you're a bit, when you've had a bit of drugs, then. It's one of those things where if a police officer shot, people rally round them. Yeah, I mean, that's the worst thing you can do, isn't it? Kill a police officer, mm-hmm. according to, like, the law or public common decency so craig's defense at trial was that he'd only fired shots intended to frighten the police and he wanted them to stay back so he pled guilty to manslaughter but innocent to murder bentley's defense was that his part in the joint enterprise has ended before the shots were fired because he'd already been grabbed by fairfax and he was under arrest like he wasn't he wasn't part of the shooting apart from he went do it chris Well, the prosecution had to prove that they had a common purpose, that they knew of the gun, and that Bentley had urged Craig to use it with that let him have it. Yeah. So the trial took place on 
Thursday the 9th of December 1952 and it only lasted two days. There were 24 witnesses called for the prosecution, all of them police officers. There weren't 24 police officers there. And there were, I heard a thing. There were two witnesses called for the defence, Craig and Bentley. Oh, shit. No one else. And then... Not even my mum. The let him have it, Chris, was the key point in the trial. Play it again, Sam. <laughs> the police stories were inconsistent, and the judge was saying, look, if this is false, then you're saying that these police officers are deliberately trying to get a young boy killed. Yeah. Is what you're saying. So, and if it's true, then it's evidence that you've murdered someone. So what do you want me to do? Like, believe you or believe that these police officers are conspiring to get you the worst yeah. punishment possible? So it's either you go against law enforcement in general or you go against these two lads. Though, I mean, both the boys said they didn't hear it. PC Payne, who I mentioned earlier, whose story differed, he said that actually he was the first one to get there and he didn't hear it said he was the closest and he didn't hear it, but he's the only police officer that differs. Yeah, but he's called PC Payne. But what so. would his motive be to say that if it wasn't true? And there was one idea that rather than saying, let him have it as in shoot him, that he could also have been saying, like, give the officer the gun. Like, oh, let him have it. Like, don't fire, just hand it over. Yeah. But I mean, that was ne- the defence never even tried to bring that one up. I would have thought that's actually quite logical because Bentley complied. As soon as he was grabbed, he stayed with them. There were several points where he was let go of when the two officers were dragging PC Miles' body when he was grazed in the shoulder. There were lots of occasions where he was let go of and he didn't try and rejoin Christopher Craig. He stayed with the police officers and like, I'm done. Yeah. So he could have been saying, let him have it, like, give him the gun. Yeah, I guess it depends on, like, let him have it, let him have it. But again, lots of people, the PC thing and the two boys said that he didn't even say it. So we don't know. But even if he did, does that, he didn't shoot anyone. A ballistics expert did testify and he said, What expert? Ballistics. Guns. He's gone ballistic. I'm an expert. Yeah. He said that because it was a World War I standard issue revolver and that it had been sawn off, that it would be extremely inaccurate. Well, clearly, because it was, like, pinging all over the place. Exactly. So Craig was saying that he never actually meant to fire at the officers. He was just trying to fire away from them and scare them. And the expert was saying that it would be incredibly inaccurate. It wouldn't be firing in the right direction. And they said that a lot of the ammunition shells that they found shows that he was using ammunition that was too small for his gun, which was making it even more inaccurate. Years after the trial... There was the doctor who carried out the post-mortem, so it didn't come up at trial at all. They never mentioned this. But the doctor that did the post-mortem on PC Miles said that the bullet that had killed him was a large calibre, 32, a .32, which was the standard issue for a pistol of the Metropolitan Police at the time. So one of the policemen killed him? It's possible that it was accidental friendly fire. Christopher Craig, however, believed that he had shot PC Miles. He was like, I was firing... He thought he'd killed him, for sure. But he did also say, but I'm quite surprised that I got him in the face considering he was facing the opposite way. And Considering the gun was in my pocket at the time. I don't know, but I think I think if it had been one of the policemen, they would have all freaked out at the time. Like, you, you wouldn't just be like, oh, let's just carry on. Like, you'd have to confer about that, wouldn't you, if you're all going to have a story. I, don't, I mean, it's possible, it's possible. For 75 minutes, the jury deliberated before returning a guilty verdict for both Christopher Craig and Derek Bentley. 
Now, as we mentioned, Christopher Crowe was too young for the death sentence, so he would just spend ten and a half years in prison, so he'd be out by the time he was 26. Bentley, being 19, even though he hadn't fired a shot, he was sentenced to death by oh, hanging. shit. That seems pretty harsh. He was executed at Wandsworth Prison on the 28th of January, so only a few weeks after, and f- around 5,000 people demonstrated against it outside the prison. I mean, he hadn't... He'd been. He'd gone to do an attempted burglary, and now he's been hung for this. I bet 20,000 went to watch, though. Craig was released in 1963. He became an engineer, got married by the time he was 28. But in 1991, he was interviewed for a programme called The Thames Report. You can see it on YouTube. And he denied the fact that Benley had ever said let him have it, and he agreed to take a polygraph test to which the person conducting it said that he was truthful. Bentley's family never gave up fighting for a pardon. His dad died while still trying to get it to happen. His brother went to prison himself. His sister, Iris, was a particular campaigner, and she kept going for 40 years and wrote over 150,000 letters. Wow. So Derek Bentley was eventually granted a royal pardon in 1993, and then the actual conviction was overturned in 1998, but this was a year after Iris had died, so she didn't live to see it. Aww. But basically, if a police officer shot, they want someone has to pay for yeah, it. Yeah, people are out for blood. And unfortunately, that person was Bentley. Yeah. So it's just well, shitty for everyone, really. Yeah, it's shit for everyone because we didn't want PC Miles to die, but we didn't want Bentley to die. And Craig wanted to die, but he wasn't allowed to die. So everyone just fucked up in this one. Yeah, it was pretty tragic. Sars. Thank you for listening to Slaughter. Um, please do continue to rate, review, subscribe. Please also continue to type in British Podcast Awards vote and uh, just vote for us in the British Podcast Awards, particularly if you can't do iTunes. That would be really nice. You can catch us on social media, all the usuals. But listening to Slaughter doesn't make you a psycho. Giving your dad a love potion kind of does. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.